0: Chapter Twenty Three of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Andress. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Twenty Three. Moods of the Mind. Hester's sleeping as well as waking thoughts were this night full of solicitude as to her feelings and conduct towards her sister. A thousand times before the morning she had said to herself, in dreams and in meditation, that she had failed in this relation, the oldest and till of late the dearest. She shuddered to think how nearly she had lost Margaret, and to imagine what her state of mind would have been if her sister had now been beyond the reach of the voice, the eye, the hand which she was resolved should henceforth dispense to her nothing but the love and the benefits she deserved. She recollected that to a few was granted such a warning of the death of beloved ones. To few was it permitted to feel, while it was yet not too late, the agony of remorse for pain inflicted, for gratifications withheld, for selfish neglect, for insufficient love. She remembered vividly what her emotions had been as a child and finding her canary dead in its cage how she had wept all day not so much for its loss as from the recollection of the many times when she had failed to cheer it with sugar and groundsel and play and of the number of hours when she had needlessly covered up its cage in impatience at its song shutting out its sunshine and changing the brightest seasons of its little life into dull night if it had been thus with her sister many a hasty word many an unjust thought came back now to wring her heart when she imagined margaret sinking in the water the soft breathing on which our life so marvelously hangs stopped without struggle or cry how near how very near had death in his hovering stooped towards their home how strange while treading thus precariously the film which covers the abyss into which all must some day drop and which may crack under the feet of any one at any hour. How strange to be engrossed with petty jealousies, with selfish cares, and to be unmindful of the great interests of existence, the exercises of mutual love and trust. Thank God it was not too late. Margaret lived to be cherished, to be consoled for her private griefs, as far as consolation might be possible. To have her innocent affections redeemed from the waste to which they now seemed doomed gathered gradually up again and knit into the interests of the home life in which she was externally bearing her part full of these thoughts and forgetting how often her best feelings had melted away beneath the transient heats kindled by the little provocations of daily life hester now believed that margaret would never have to suffer from her more that their love would be henceforth like that of angels like that which it would have been if margaret had really died yesterday it was yet early when in the full enjoyment of these undoubting thoughts hester stood by her sister's bedside margaret was still sleeping but with that expression of weariness in her face which had of late become too common hester gazed long at the countenance grieving at the languor and anxiety which it revealed she had not taken margaret's suffering to heart she had been unfeeling, strangely forgetful. She would minister to her now with reverent care. As she thus resolved, she bent down and kissed her forehead. Margaret started, shook off sleep, felt quite well, would rise. There was no reason why she should not rise at once. When she entered the breakfast-room, Hester was there, placing her chair by the fire, and inventing indulgences for her, as if she had been an invalid, it was in vain that margaret protested that no effects of the accident remained not a single sensation of chill she was to be taken care of and she submitted she was touched by her sister's gentle offices and felt more like being free and at peace more like being lifted up out of her woe than she had yet done since the fatal hour which rendered her conscious and wretched breakfast went on cheerfully the fire blazed bright the rain pelting against the windows gave welcome promise of exemption from inquiries in person and from having to relate many times over the particulars of the event of yesterday. Hester was beautiful in all the glow of her sensibilities, and Edward was for this morning in no hurry. No blue or yellow-backed pamphlet lay beside his plate, and when his last cup was empty, he still sat talking as if he forgot that he should have to go out in the rain in the midst of a laugh which had prevented their hearing a premonitory knock the door opened and mrs Gray's twin daughters entered looking half shy half eager never before had they been known to come out in heavy rain but they were so very desirous to see cousin margaret after she had been in the water and sydney had held the great gig umbrella over himself and them as papa would not hear of Sidney not coming He was standing outside the door now, under the large umbrella, for he said nothing should make him come in and see Cousin Margaret. He would never see her again, if he could help it. Sidney had said another thing, such a wicked thing. Mamma was quite ashamed of him. Mr. Hope thought they had better not repeat anything wicked that anyone had said. But Hester considered it possible that it might not appear so wicked if spoken as if left to the imagination. What Sidney had said was that if Cousin Margaret had been really drowned, he would have drowned himself before dinner-time. Mary added that she heard him mutter that he was almost ready to do it now. Mr. Hope thought that must be the reason why he was standing out at present, to catch all this rain, which was very nearly enough to drown anybody, and he went to bring him in. But Sydney was not to be caught. He was on the watch and the moment he saw Mr. Hope's coat instead of his sister's cloaks, he ran off with a speed which defied pursuit, and was soon out of sight with the large umbrella. His cousins were sorry that he felt the event so painfully, and that he could not come in and confide his trouble of mind to them. Hope resolved not to let the morning pass without seeing him and, if possible, bringing him home to dinner with William Levitt to take off the awkwardness. "'What are we to do?' exclaimed Sydney's little sisters. "'He has carried off the great umbrella.' "'I cannot conveniently send you just at present,' said Hester. "'So you had better put off your cloaks, and amuse yourselves here till the rain abates, or someone comes for you. "'We will speak to Miss Young to excuse your not being with her.' "'Oh, cousin Margaret,' said the children, "'if you will speak to Miss Young, she will give us any sort of a holiday. She minds everything you say.' "'She will let us stop all day and dine here, if you ask her.' Hester said she could not have them stay all day. She did not mean to have them to dinner, and the little girls both looked up in her face at once to find out what made her speak so angrily. They saw Cousin Margaret glancing the same way, too. "'Do you know, Mary?' said Fanny. "'You have not said a word yet of what Miss Young bade you say.' Mary told Cousin Margaret that Miss Young was wishing very much to see her, and would be pleased if margaret would mention what evening she would spend with her a nice long evening mary added to begin as soon as it grew dark and on till nobody knew when maria had better come here observed hester quickly and then someone else besides margaret may have the benefit of her conversation she seems to forget that anybody cares for her besides margaret tell miss young she had better fix an evening to come here i do not think she will do that said both the little girls Why not? She is very lame now, replied Mary, and she cannot walk further than just to school and back again. And besides, remarked Fanny, she wants to talk with cousin Margaret alone, I am sure. They have such a great deal of talk to do, whenever they are together. We watch them sometimes in the schoolroom, through the window, when we are at play in the garden, and their heads nod at one another in this way. I believe they never leave off for a minute.' We often wonder what it can be all about. Ah, my dears, you and I had better not ask, said Hester. I have no doubt it is better that we should not know. Margaret looked beseechingly at her sister. Hester replied to her look, I mean what I say, Margaret. You cannot but be aware how much more you have to communicate to Maria than to me. Our conversation soon comes to a stand, and I must say— I have had much occasion to admire your great talent for silence of late. Maria has still to learn your accomplishments in that direction, I fancy. Margaret quietly told the little girls that she would write a note to Maria with her answer. You must not do that, said Fanny. Miss Young said you must not. That was the reason why she sent you a message instead of a note, that you might not have to write back again, when a message would do as well. Margaret, nevertheless, sat down at the writing-table you go to-day of course said hester in the voice of forced calmness which margaret knew so well the little girls may as well stay and dine after all as i shall otherwise be alone in the evening i shall not go to-day said margaret without turning her head you will not stay away on my account of course i have said that i shall go on thursday thursday that is almost a week hence now margaret do not be pettish and deny yourself what you know you like best do not be a baby and quarrel with your supper. I had far rather you should go to-night, and have done with it, than that you should wait till Thursday, thinking all day long, till then, that you are obliging me by staying with me. I cannot bear that. I wish I knew what you could bear,' said Margaret, in a voice which the children could not hear. I wish I knew how I could save you pain. The moment the words were out, Margaret was sorry for them. She was aware that the best kindness to her sister was to take as little notice as possible of her discontents, to turn the conversation, to avoid scenes, or any remarks which could bring them on. It was hard, sometimes it seemed impossible, to speak calmly and lightly, while every pulse was throbbing, and every fibre trembling with fear and wretchedness. But yet it was best to assume such calmness and lightness. Margaret now asked the little girls, while she sealed her note, how their patchwork was getting on. Thus far the handsomest patchwork quilt she had ever seen. Oh, it will be far handsomer before it is done. Mrs. Howell has found up some beautiful pieces of print for us, remnants of her first morning gown after she was married, and of her poor dear Howell's last dressing gown, as she says. We were quite sorry to take those, "'but she would put them up for us. "'And she is to see the quilt sometimes in return. "'But Miss Nair's parcel was the best, Cousin Margaret. "'Such a quantity of nankeen for the ground, "'and the loveliest chintz for the centre medallion. "'Is not it, Mary?' "'Oh, lovely! "'Do you know, Cousin Margaret, Miss Nair's and Miss Flint "'both cried when they heard how nearly you were drowned. "'I am sure I had no idea they would have cared so much.' nor i my dear but i dare say they feel kindly towards any one saved from great danger not everybody said fanny only you because you are a great favourite everybody says you are a great favourite papa cried last night just a little tear or two as gentlemen do when he told mamma how sorry everybody in deerbrook would have been if you had died there that will do said hester struggling between her better and worse feelings her remorse of this morning and her present jealousy and losing her temper between the two you have said quite enough about what you do not understand my dears i cannot have you make so free with your cousin's name children the little girls looked at each other in wonder and hester thought she detected a lurking smile i see what you are thinking children yes look the rain is nearly over and then you may go and tell mrs howell and miss and all the people you see on your way home, that they had better attend to their own concerns than pretend to understand what would have been felt if your cousin had been drowned. I wonder at their impertinence. Are you in earnest, cousin Hester? Shall we go and tell them so? No, she is not in earnest, said Margaret. But before you go, Morris shall give you some pieces for your quilt, some very pretty ones, such as she knows I can spare. Margaret rang, and Morris took the children upstairs, to choose for themselves out of Margaret's drawer of pieces. When the door had closed behind them, Margaret said, "'Sister, do not make me wish that I had died under the ice yesterday. Margaret, how dare you say anything so wicked! If it be wicked, God forgive me. I was wretched enough before. I would fain have never come to life again. And now you almost make me believe—' "'that you would have been best pleased if I never had.' "'At this moment Hope entered. "'He had left them in a far different mood. "'It made him breathless to see his wife's face of passion "'and Margaret's of woe. "'Hear her!' exclaimed Hester. "'She says I should have been glad to have lost her yesterday.' "'Have mercy on me!' cried Margaret, in excessive agitation. "'You oppress me beyond what I can bear. "'I cannot bear on as I used to do. "'My strength is gone.' and you give me none. You take away what I had. "'Will you hear me spoken to in this way?' cried Hester, turning to her husband. "'I will.' Margaret's emotion prevented her hearing this, or caring who was by. She went on. "'You leave me nothing, nothing but yourself, and you abuse my love for you. You warn me against love, against marriage. You chill my very soul with terror at it. I have found a friend in Maria.' and you poison my comfort in my friendship and insult my friend there is not an infant in a neighbor's house but you become jealous of it the moment i take it in my arms there is not a flower in your garden not a book on my table that you will let me love in peace how ungenerous while you have one to cherish and one who cherishes you that you will have me lonely that you quarrel with all who show regard to me that you refuse me the least solace when my heart is breaking with its loneliness oh it is cruel will you hear this edward i will because it is the truth for once hester you must hear another's mind you have often told your own god knows why i was saved yesterday murmured margaret for a more desolate creature does not breathe hope leaned against the wall hester relieved her torment of mind with reproaches of margaret you do not trust me she cried it is you who make me miserable you go to others for the comfort you ought to seek in me you place that confidence in others which ought to be mine alone you are cheered when you learn that the commonest gossips in deerbrook care about you and you set no value on your own sister's feelings for you you have faith and charity for people out of doors and mistrust and misconstruction for those at home i am the injured one margaret not you margaret said hope your sister speaks for herself I think that you are the injured one, as Hester herself will soon agree. So far from having anything to reproach you with, I honour your forbearance. Unremitting till this hour, I mourn that we cannot, if we would, console you in return. But whatever I can do shall be done. Your friendships, your pursuits, shall be protected. If we persecute your affections at home, I will take care that you are allowed their exercise abroad. Rely upon me. "'and do not think yourself utterly lonely while you have a brother.' "'I have been very selfish,' said Margaret, recovering herself at the first word of kindness. "'Wretchedness makes me selfish, I think.' She raised herself up on the sofa, and timidly held out her hand to her sister. Hester thrust it away. Margaret uttered a cry of agony, such as had never been heard from her since her childhood. Hope fell on the floor. He had fainted at the sound. Even now there was no one but Morris who understood it. Margaret reproached herself bitterly for her selfishness, for her loss of the power of self-control. Hester's remorse, however greater in degree, was of its usual kind, strong and brief. She repeated, as she had done before, that she made her husband wretched, that she should never have another happy moment, that she wished he had never seen her. For the rest of the day she was humbled, contrite, convinced that she should give way to her temper no more her eyes filled when her husband spoke tenderly to her and her conduct to margaret was one act of supplication but a lesser degree of this same kind of penitence had produced no permanent good effect before and there was no security that the present paroxysm would have a different result morris had seen that the children were engaged upstairs when she came down at margaret's silent summons to help to revive her master when she saw that there had been distress before there was illness she took her part she resolved that no one but herself should hear his first words and sent the ladies away when she saw that his consciousness was returning all the world might have heard his first words he recovered himself with a vigorous effort swallowed a glass of wine and within a few minutes was examining a patient in the waiting-room there the little girls saw him as they passed the half-open door on their way out with their treasure of chintz and print and having heard some bustle below they carried home word that they believed mr hope had been doing something to somebody which had made somebody faint and sophia shuddering observed how horrid it must be to be a surgeon's wife chapter twenty three